Hi, if you're watching online. How you doing? Uh, so yeah, make sure you sign up to come to baptism. Not sign up. You just come to baptism next week. Put it on your calendar. Uh, we want to get together and celebrate together since it's been so long. And if you're you know, worried about indoor things and you're watching online, this is outdoors with the Santa Maria wind. So everything's going to blow away or smell bad or both because that's how it works in Santa Maria. But put it on your calendar uh, next Sunday, 1 p.m. Uh, we will have, if you're in the room, we're going to have maps. I may not put the address to my house online. So email us if you need directions, if you don't know where I live, but we'll have them on the community tables around the room next week for all of you in here. And just to let you know, after we did talk uh, and about last week about going to two services and checking things out online, a little debate among the staff back and forth. I'm like, I don't know what we should do. And we decided we are going to go to two services that is going to start in two weeks. So not next week, but the week after we start a new series. It's called The Songs of Ascent. And at that series, we're going to go to two services, 9 o'clock and 1045. So if you're here, just sleep in a little later or stop and get your coffee on the way, or show up early and just walk around and talk to people like I normally do. Uh, but this one will be 45 minutes later, and then the second one's going to be at 1045, which you probably don't care about if you're here. So whatever, if you're watching online. And we're going to live stream those two services. So our live stream is not going to be 815 in two weeks. It's going to be 9 and 1045. We'll live stream those services for you. If you have any questions, uh, Send Mikey an email. No, uh, send Sarah an email or something like just an info uh, email to info at ironman.org, and that's what we got. Hopefully that makes sense to all of you, and you're on board. Okay, okay, it'll be great for me today because for some reason last night I woke up at 2:30 in the morning and I cannot go back to sleep, so I'm a little tired. And Mark actually prayed for me this morning as the band got together, and he said, "God, please don't let Aaron get more offensive as the day goes on," because <laughs> apparently when I'm tired I say things. Anyway. Uh, if you're new to welcome, if you're new to welcome element, if you're new, this is this is what's going to be like today. If you're new to element, welcome. Uh, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Uh, there are sermon notes around the room on the communion tables, and they look like this. You'll get a you know a reference of what this minor prophet looks like on the back. You'll get the verses we're covering on the bottom. You're going to get some questions to reflect on what we talk about today. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on More and then Events in Uversion, and we will come up by GPS in your smart device, and you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, and everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? And this is a back at chapter 3, verse 2. And it says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Let's pray. Father, today we ask that you would take us and teach us what it means to be a people who walk in this world, many times not understanding what is going on around us, and that many times you will bring things into our lives that are harder to the lives of others. But in what happens, we remember that you are a merciful God, that you are good, and that you call us to yourself, and we would have a theology that is focused upon you first before anything else. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so if you have a Bible, you can turn to this little Old Testament book called Habakkuk. If you have an element Bible that's on page 510, I promise it is actually in there. Uh, to catch you up, Habakkuk is an Old Testament prophet who had major problems with the state of his country and what the government was doing and what people were doing. And he directs his complaints to God because ultimately God himself is in control of all things. And God responds to Habakkuk, I'm going to handle everything. I'm going to take care of it. But Habakkuk doesn't like how God's going to handle 
handle things because God is going to send this pagan nation of Babylon into the nation of Judah to destroy them and then haul those that are left into captivity. And really the first couple chapters of Habakkuk is Habakkuk saying, God, do you see my country? Do you see all the issues? And God's saying, yes, I see it. I'm going to send, Bab- I'm going to send Babylon in. And then Habakkuk saying, I don't like that plan. You got another plan. And God says, look, Habakkuk, I know what I'm doing. You can trust me. I will take care of the Babylonians as well. They're not going to get away with all their evil. I take care of all people and all sin. And really what you see God start to do with Habakkuk is explain the difference between discipline and wrath. God has wrath against sin, but what God does to those who are his covenant people is there is discipline. And God will discipline his people to bring them to love and follow him more and more in their lives. And so God uses kind of this language to explain this to Habakkuk. And as I said, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians are coming to discipline Judah. Now, Habakkuk thinks the Babylonians are just worse, so much worse than they are, not really realizing that we're all bad before God. And Habakkuk's angry that God would use someone who is more wicked than they are to judge his people. And his argument in the end really isn't against God per se, but God is cutting through all that is kind of distracting Habakkuk from who he's supposed to be and how he's supposed to live. And so God is like, Habakkuk, you really have no idea what you're talking about. You only see your own little world and your own little life. You don't understand everything else. God sees everything, all time, as a completed event. He knows the beginning from the end. He sees all things. We don't. I mean, God's like, Habakkuk, of course this doesn't make sense to you. You don't even know that you're on a planet in a solar system, in a galaxy. You don't even know what's going on on the other side side of the globe from you, because you don't even know you're on a globe. Yeah, of course, all these things are going to be confusing. And so God shows himself to Habakkuk in this way that he knows everybody's hearts. He knows everything that people are going through and that he will bring about discipline to his people. And what eventually happens is you will see Habakkuk's theology go from being horizontal to just looking at all the problems around him to going vertical, where he starts with God first, and then everything begins to change because he sees who God is is first. And really, chapter 3 comes along, and chapter 3, Habakkuk just simply starts to worship God for who he is and what he has done, which is really for us, if you call yourself a believer, that's what we do. We worship God for who he is and what he's done, and what he continues to do for us in the person of Christ. And so chapter 3 is going to be a bit weird. It's a song that is written, and sometimes songs in their poetry don't really sound or look that right to us because they are song, but this is how Habakkuk 3 starts. Habakkuk 3.1, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigianath. Now, Shigianath is most likely a stringed musical instrument that we may not even know what it looks like or sounds like anymore, uh, but yeah, I don't know if you like some music your friends don't like, and it's like, I just love the Shigianath. It's, it's the best. Well, that's, that's kind of this. Uh, so chapter 3 is a weird song. See if you can sing it with me. Uh, Habakkuk 3.2, oh Lord, have I heard the report of you and your work, oh Lord, do I no, we don't, we don't know how it goes. We don't know how it goes. All right. But in the end, what you see is the time spent with God. When God reveals himself, it should come out in us in worship. That's what it should turn into. We spend time with God. It results in worship in our lives. And this is what happens in Habakkuk. And he then writes a new song right here because he has spent time with God. If you are an artist type and you long to be more creative, you should spend time with God because God is creator and creative. And I think when you spend time with him, it starts to rub off. I believe God enables. I believe God inspires. And so Habakkuk sings this song out of time birthed with God. On a technical note also, three times in chapter three will be 
read this word called Selah, uh, verse 3, verse 9, verse 13. That word is used 71 times in the book of Psalms, and it most likely means forever, go God, or something like that. So when you see Selah, you're supposed to go Selah. Golly, you guys are like a... Okay, so whenever we see this word Selah in the text, you're going to do that. You're like, oh no, I got to actually read it as we go. Yes, you do. So let me try this with you because Selah would come when you say something magnificent about God. So you'd be like, God is good. God loves us. God holds the whole world in his hands. Okay, all right. See how this goes. All right. Uh, musicians are most likely lift up their instruments and go, whatever that sounds like. Anyway, Habakkuk 3.2. Oh, Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O oh Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. That's where Habakkuk starts his song. Do you look around the world and long for injustice to be dealt with, for hearts to be transformed, for lives to be changed, for you to feel safe that you don't have to lock your doors at night. Someone's gonna, not going to smack you on the head and take your stuff. Do you long for that? And Habakkuk says, God, I have heard about these things when you show up and do mighty works. I've heard about it, but I long to see it in my life. And really, as a prophet, Habakkuk is waiting for Jesus because Jesus is the one who comes and deals with all sin because the wages of sin is death and God is good for his promises and God is merciful. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, we are told we deserve wrath, but we get Christ instead. We get discipline when God grows us in our lives. When Jesus prays from the cross, when he's dying, he says, Father, forgive them. I don't think that's just for the people who are there. I think that's for every single one of us as well. And Habakkuk has grown weary of the sin and the apathy in his country and even among those who say they love God. God himself, and he longs for God's fame to cover the seas. So he says, God, I've heard about it, and I want to see it. And what Habakkuk is going to do is he's going to start to remember. And as he remembers what God has done, it's going to move him from the place of being freaked out about all these things to a place where he can begin to rejoice, even though God is going to bring discipline. And so he's going to remind himself of God's sovereignty and God's grace, because Habakkuk says, I have heard about it, I have read about it, but I've never seen it. There is evil, there is injustice. The wicked prosper, the righteous suffer, but I want to see you. And he's going to do this by recounting what he understands to be the gospel to him. He lives before Christ ever came. And so the gospel to Habakkuk will be when God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt. When you speak about the gospel, that means good news. What is the good news that we know? That Jesus came to live the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died. He gives us his righteousness. He gives us life, brings us back into relationship with God. What is Habakkuk's good news? That God came and saved his people from slavery and death. That is the gospel that he knows. And so you'll see pestilence and plagues in his song because that's how God led his people out of Egypt. He will talk about Mount Sinai with the ground shaking. He'll talk about God trampling the sea, which is the Red Sea. Again, he goes back to the gospel. The children of Israel were in slavery and bondage. They did not have the power to get themselves out, but God came. He miraculously intervenes. He enters history and brings them out. So this is what his song centers on. The gospel, which is the best kind of song. We love the gospel songs. Habakkuk 3.3. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Guys, come on now. Okay. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. 
There you go. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he bailed his power. Now, Timon, is, it's like this poetic reference to the events of the Exodus and surrounding Sinai, that God showed up to his people. He gives them his commandments. It's a way to reflect all these events, but while not saying specifically Sinai, it means that God will and can do more and more things. He says, God, I remember what you did for your people, how you came to Sinai. I have read about it. Millions of people were liberated. I haven't seen it, but I read about it, and I long to see it in my own life. Verse 5, before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. When God delivers his people out of slavery in Egypt, he does so by bringing judgment by these plagues into Egypt. Pharaoh had set himself up as a god. And so what God does is he sends a succession of plagues that Pharaoh's magicians couldn't emulate to show that Pharaoh himself was not God. And the plagues come as a result that Pharaoh refuses to let God's people go and worship him in freedom. Some commentators think it also relates to Revelation chapter 6. I don't think so, neither here nor there. But he says, I've read about it and I would love to see it. Verse 6, he stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kishon in affliction and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Whenever God shows up, creation and nations and individuals tremble in fright because they realize how powerful and how majestic and how holy he is and everything cowers in his presence. It is creation bends and yields to you. We can often think a lot of ourselves and how great we are, but when God shows up, we're going to respond more like Isaiah in Isaiah 6, 5, who is one of God's prophets. And Isaiah is like, oh my goodness, woe is me. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Habakkuk lives in a day when people profane God's name, even those who claim to follow him. And he says, God, I wish you would show up and just freak everyone out by who you are and how powerful you are. And we sometimes say that too, failing to realize that if God shows up, we most likely respond just like Isaiah. Verse 8, was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? Now, this is going to two things, how God parts the Red Sea. And in Exodus 14 and 15, God's people cannot defend themselves. And the Egyptians are coming with their chariots. A chariot is like an Old Testament tank. A person on the ground can't stand against it. And so they're going to, and they get stuck at the sea while they're coming. And God parts the Red Sea. And these people walk across from slavery into freedom, from death into life. They get to the other side. And guess what happens? Mary and Moses' sister writes a new song. I'm spending time with God, just like Habakkuk does here. He says, God, I have heard about it, but I'd love to see it in my life. It also refers to God's people going into the promised land. The, the priests are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and God says, I need you guys to step into the Jordan River. Now, the Jordan River is most likely at flood stage at this point, so if God wasn't powerful, this would be a disaster. The priests would die, the Ark would kayak down the river, uh, but God is powerful. And they consecrate themselves and they step in the Jordan River parts and they walk into the promised land and Habakkuk says, I have read about it. I would love to see it. And now Habakkuk will then go and talk about all the ways that God has shown up as a mighty warrior, which is kind of tough for us today in our society because a lot of people in America like it when God shows up and rubs your feet or your back and aromatherapy and burns essential oils and, oh, he's your buddy like a big pet. Now, the bottom, God of the Bible is gracious and he is patient and the true God, but we are told his patience, though long-suffering, does run out. 
It's kind of like uh, Aslan in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, Christ is seen as this lion, this Christ figure in, in this book. And Lucy, before she meets Aslan, she says, is he safe? And one of the characters responds, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. So this is the understanding. So God's going to make nations rise and fall for his glory and our good. Here we go. Verse 9. You strip the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. Yeah, you guys are on it now. That's great. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhe. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You thrust the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. It's like, Selah? <laughs> okay. You pierced with his own arrows the head of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. Now, what you see here is God is a mighty warrior on a horse, bow in hand. He's back us like, God, I have seen your creatures mock you. But I want to see you show up like this. I just don't want to hear about it. I want to see it in my life. And Habakkuk is singing this song, rightly remembering how the Israelites were saved, not by what they did, but by what God did. And that's the gospel, is that we are saved by what God does and not what we do. And so Habakkuk is telling himself, he's reminding and reminding and reminding, saying, remember, remember, remember this God's good news. And then you get to verse 16 and he says, I hear my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. What he basically says is I will quietly now wait to see what God is going to do. Habakkuk has been talking to himself this entire song, telling himself to remember God's glory, God's faithfulness, God's goodness. And this type of thing happens all throughout the Bible. And I think we fail to do this today with one another. Psalm 42, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation. Who's he talking to? He's not talking to God. He's not talking to other people. It's not a sermon. He's reminding himself. Why you cast down, O my soul? Psalm 103, verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who's he talking to? He's talking to himself. Bless the Lord, O, o my soul. He's saying, I've got to connect what I know about God to the rest of my life, to all the circumstances that are around me in my presence. Uh, th there is lots of examples of this in the scriptures, but one of the reasons that Element, we're always trying to connect you in community with one another who understand the gospel, who can speak it into each other's lives, is so that we would remind one another like Habakkuk reminds himself here. Uh, we want to help you to begin to do that in every space of your life. Now open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. And kind of hang out there. We're going to be like Luke 8, Luke 10, Luke 9. Anyway, in Luke 8, there's kind of an example of this. Uh, Jesus calms this storm. He's on a boat with his disciples. This crazy storm comes up. The disciples are freaking out. Jesus falls asleep. He's had a tough few days. So he's, so he's sleeping in the boat. And they wake him up and they go, Master, don't you care? Uh, the wind and the waves are going to kill us. And Jesus is like, oh. And he looks, he looks at the storm and he goes, knock it off. And the storm goes, whoop. Then he looks at his disciples in Luke 8.25, and he says this, where is your faith? Where is your faith? He does not say you need more faith. He says, where is it? 
Where have you placed your faith? You know who I am. You know what I've done. You know what I can do. You have faith. You know the truth. You need to live in it. You got to remember it. Where have you placed it? We live in a world today that there's lots of things going on that we don't like and we don't understand. Things happen to us. Things happen to other people. There is a cultural storm on the horizon that is brewing that's going to decimate everything that we know. How do we not freak out? How do we continue to live in the goodness of God, to trust Him in the midst of all these things? We remember. That's what we do. We remember what he has done throughout history, how we're even still here. Every single year in the news, there's some other thing that's going to kill us all. And yet we are still here. We remember the scriptures. We remember what God has done in our lives. We remember God's faithfulness. That's what we do. Uh, in one of his books, Tim Keller has this whole section about remembering. And I like how I'm going to condense a book in, or a chapter in a book down to one paragraph. But um, it, he says it's kind of grisly when you think about it because what's remembering? Well, he says, take a member. A member is like your finger, your hand, your arm, your leg, your foot, and it's been cut off. And then what do you do? It's like Frankenstein. You're sewing it back on. You're remembering. You're putting the member back on. The thing that you needed so vitally that has been cut off, you're putting back on. So what is Jesus saying here? You know who I am but you're not connecting it to the storm. You know who I am, but you're not connected to your heart in the midst of the storm. There is all of this panic because you're not remembering. If we ever want to get to a place where we rejoice in tribulation, whether it's the Babylonians coming or COVID taking over the world or storms in our life, it means instead of just looking at the storms and the waves and the circumstances, we go back to the gospel. Instead of a horizontal theology where we look at everything around us as being so important, we first go vertical and see who God is and then let that dictate the rest of our lives. We go to the gospel first. And it is why Habakkuk goes to the Exodus. He goes to what God has done. God, I've seen it, and I want to see it again. I know what you've done. We know Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. And we remember that, and we put it back on. That can lead to rejoicing. And rejoicing doesn't mean being happy. In Philippians 4.4, 4, when Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice. Paul is not commanding you to feel happy, because you cannot command people just to feel happy. What he's talking about here is a discipline. And sometimes when we hear the word discipline, we're like, oh, discipline, so it's such a horrible word. I got to stoically force myself into something. No, rejoice, it really means this idea to treasure or favor something. So think about how Paul says those words. Treasure the Lord always. Again, I say savor him. What a discipline would do is we think about our lives in ways that focus on God's rescue of us first. Rejoicing means we take all that has happened in our lives and what we do is we look through it through the lens of the gospel. We say, how should I feel about this? How should this affect me in my life based upon what Christ has first done? This then changes how we see everything and we begin to even appreciate or value or praise God for his goodness in things that we don't understand. It becomes a lot about our focus. So again, what was the focus of the gospel as far as Habakkuk knew it? The Exodus. You guys with me? Okay. All right. The Exodus. God steps into Israel's slavery. He saves them from a power they cannot get out of on their own, and he brings them into freedom by his faithful power. That's the gospel as far as he knew it. And by remembering that gospel, it gets into a place where he says, I might be shaking like a leaf. I might be feeling like there's rottenness in my bones, but I will rejoice in my suffering because I will wait to see what you are going to do. But, and, and this is a big but here, we have a huge advantage over Habakkuk because we have a perspective on the Exodus that he never had. 
we get to see what the Exodus was pointing towards in Christ. The Exodus, God brings his people out of slavery into freedom. This is a foreshadowing of what Christ is going to do for us. We get to have a right and a true perspective of what God is doing through all of it. Now, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. I hope you're still in Luke. Uh, Jesus sends his disciples out. And he gives them a whole lot of power to do a whole lot of things around them. They're healing people. They're casting out demons. Lots of crazy stuff. Luke 10, 17, the disciples come back from this. And it says, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. They're like, wow, have you seen all the cool stuff we're doing? It's so amazing. We do this today. If God does some amazing work somewhere, we look to whoever the person was in the midst of it going, look, they're pretty cool. And the person did nothing. God does everything. That's what we have to look. We keep lifting people up. We need to lift Jesus up. And so in the midst of them going, look how great we are, Jesus has the audacity to reset them. Luke 10 verse 20, nevertheless, Jesus says, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What does he send them back to? Not in all their accomplishments, but in what he's doing to rescue and save them. I am writing your names down. The word written is this word engraved. And for them hearing this, you would have your name engraved on a stone or on a piece of metal or something like that, usually for something big. And what Jesus is saying is, don't look at all the things you're accomplishing in the world as things you rejoice in. Not that it's bad. You can rejoice if you get married or graduate college or get a raise or whatever. You make level 53 in Borderlands, whatever. He's saying the joy in our lives, though, should be what God has done for us. Because everything else in the end is going to be temporary. When our focus is on us, when our circumstances change, we become destroyed. And so we rejoice in what is actually eternal, that our names are written, past tense, engraved, already in heaven. You're accepted. Our place is there. That's where our citizenship is. We are already loved. This is what the gospel brings. Now open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Right before that. Now in Luke chapter 9, there's this thing called the transfiguration. Jesus goes up onto the mountain with his disciples. Uh, the glory of God sh shines down and Moses and Elijah show up. So Luke chapter 9, verse 30 says this. And behold, two men were talking with him, that's Jesus, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So in Jerusalem is where Jesus is going to die for our sins and rise from the grave. English translations seem to have this really hard time with verse 31 there because it says they were talking to Jesus about his departure. Uh, other versions say his going forth. The King James says his decease, which is just really weird. But the Greek text right there, Moses, when he's talking to Jesus, the literal word in Greek there is exodus. They're talking about his exodus. Now, can you imagine Moses talking to Jesus and going, oh, you should have seen the exodus I did, Jesus. It was really something. Even the demons were subject to me in my name. Right? No, that's not what's happening at all. They're talking about how Moses' exodus was just a foreshadowing of the exodus Jesus was going to bring about in what he was going to do in Jerusalem. Moses risked his life, yes. For, for the Israelites to free them from political and social bondage. But Jesus actually gives his life, not just to liberate us from political and social bondage, but from evil, death, and sin. Habakkuk, he's looking to Moses. Where's Moses looking? Jesus. You're in church, guys. He's looking to Jesus. You can see Jesus. It's okay. He's looking to Jesus. And this is where we are supposed to look, to Jesus himself. 
Moses goes, before the children of Israel are brought out of slavery, he slays a lamb, puts the blood on doorposts and door frames, so the angel of death passes over, so they go from death into life. In the book of Hebrews, we are told that Jesus is the lamb who was slain for us. He gives his blood, so our sins aren't just covered, they're removed, they are forgiven, so we can be liberated. We are told in the Exodus account that Moses takes these, the names of the children of Israel and he writes them on precious stones, sapphires, rubies, diamonds, puts them on the breastplate of the high priest so they're over the high priest's heart. And we are told that Jesus, our ultimate deliverer, our ultimate high priest, stands before the Father and our names are engraved from the foundation of the world. I mean, it's Jesus just fulfills all of this. Habakkuk looks to the Exodus because of what it meant for God to rescue his people. But in the midst of our uncertainty and what we go through and the things we don't understand, we look to Jesus who gives his life for the entire world. And that moves us to be a people whose focus is reset as we rejoice in the Lord and him alone. Jonathan Edwards' very first sermon was in 1721. You guys know I like Jonathan Edwards, I think. He's 18 years old. Uh, it's called Christian Happiness. If you ever read some of Jonathan Edwards, he wasn't always so happy in things that he wrote, so he must have been having a good day. Uh, but his thesis was that Christians should live in joy. These are the three points. It was, number one, we live in joy because our bad things will turn out for good. Secondly, our good things like our adoption and justification, our union with Christ, can never be taken away from us. And third, the best things are yet to come. The best things are yet to come. See, when we sit in the midst of our culture and we have all these things come up like Habakkuk and we get so just spun out of place and our, all of our theology seems to go horizontal, we're just looking at the things around us, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to look at the gospel, what Christ has done and what he continues to do. And our theology then goes vertical. It goes like this. So we see Christ first. Remember the gospel. We speak it to one another. When discouragement comes in our lives, when stuff happens that we do not understand, when you've lost whatever you have bet your life on, whether it's money or relationships or jobs or children, by trusting Jesus, we understand our names are engraved in heaven, and that is real wealth. And if someone comes along and they reject you or your reputation gets ruined, your name is written. It is written, and that's approval and love. That's what we remember. That's what we understand. That is the result of the gospel. And so often in our lives, we are remembering the wrong things. We are telling ourselves this vertical theology of the world around us and reminding us, well, one day that person will get out of office, or one day I will get this, or one day I'll get that. We are constantly remembering the wrong things first. Not that it's bad to remember certain things, but we are always seems to be remembering and focusing on and obsessing over and telling ourselves the wrong things first. And what should we first be telling ourselves? <clears throat> Is this on? Say, Jesus, the gospel, what he has done to rescue us. Seriously, okay, we're going to start from the top. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Your name is engraved, and that's not because of anything you've done. That's because of what Christ has done for you. Our names are engraved, and we have security in that. And when our lives are out of control, what do we do? We trust in the person of Christ. Remind ourselves of what he has done. That's what we remember. Now, the band's going to come up, and as they do, I'm going to invite you guys to take communion. Why? To remember. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me and what I'm doing. It's a way to 
remember who he is and what he has done. And that's why we come to communion every single week to take us to the place where, yes, there's all these things going on in our world and in our lives we get so frustrated with, but here is the place where we lay everything down and we begin to remember. It's a focused place to remember what God has done in his rescue of us. And so we invite you to take communion. If you need prayer, maybe your theology in your life is just totally horizontal and you got all these things going on you do not understand. You're like, oh, you're freaking out. Guys, if you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you so that your theology would start vertical in the gospel where Christ has done first. And then that would help you to understand everything else that's going on in your life because we start with the gospel. There's offering boxes next to every door. We give because God gave so much to us, giving simply part of our worship. We never pass a plate. It's just a response to what God has done. And I encourage you to grab those sermon notes with those couple questions on the back and begin to talk about those things. You know, where, where does your theology tend to go? Is it, does it tend to be horizontal, looking at things around you, or does it tend to be vertical? Do you look at what Christ has done first? Because if we're honest, most of our theology starts horizontal, looking at all the things that come into our lives. That's Habakkuk. God, do you not see? Do you not care? Do you not understand? That's where he starts. But at the end, after God shows him all that he wants to show him, where's Habakkuk's theology? Vertical. It is in God and what God has done. And for us to be a joyful, thankful, gracious people, we start in the place of understanding that God has first loved and rescued and saved us. That's where our focus is. And then, yes, we step into the world with all the issues that are there, but we step out in a way that is full of grace because we have first received grace. And that's how we begin to live. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would take us and have us remember the goodness of who you are, that we would understand that before the throne of you, we have a great, perfect high priest that intercedes for all of us. that you are the one who brings great hope because of what you have done. Father, so often we are trying to find hope in things, in people, in movements, instead of realizing that we already have the greatest hope, which is the gospel. And so I ask that you would teach us to remember that and live in it in such a way that we don't make it myopic, we don't make it about ourselves. We make it about you. We don't rejoice in us. We rejoice in you and what you have done. Teach us to be those who live out in this world with a vertical theology first. And then, because of the gospel, we interact in the world in ways that bring glory to you and good to those around us because you have first been good to us. Amen. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to drop the blinds like normal. And again, it's, it's not to make the room all dark and gloomy. What it is, it's a way for all of us to set aside some distractions and just take a few moments to think about what we have been remembering in our lives. What do we focus on? Is it the gospel or is it ourselves? And take a few moments to begin to focus on the gospel itself and then take communion, pray, sing a couple songs with us and begin to have your life reset. So our worship is first in Christ and only in Christ.